Good morning. This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. And I'm just at the local intersection. Um, and making my way towards my favorite couple of streets. We're doing a morning walk. Slightly overcast. And yesterday was Library Live. No, was it? Ah, Library Con Live. So it was a, a library convention. My publisher, Prodigy Gold, let me know that this might be an opportunity um, to look behind the curtain of the relationship between uh, the library and publishing. Uh, if, you, if you think about it, if you add up all the libraries and all of the publications you know, that are going, into, going onto the shelves, it gets sizable. The, <laughs> the interesting part was that it was geared towards fantasy and science fiction. And so, uh, but also gra uh, I thought it was science fiction, fantasy novels, um, but it was uh, graphic novels. And which was a, a delight. Um, it, it, it was a look into into the industry uh, from the perspective of of libraries and I uh, yeah so I, I believe it was about five hours total and it was about maybe, say, six panels. There were um, chats, chat rooms. This is all virtual. And... The topic that I'm going into, hopefully, is uh, the hero's journey. And, and this thought developed the topic because... Uh, Margaret Stoll, who was the, uh, who closed this uh, library con convention, she's, uh, she's a, an author, and was invited uh, in to, to write uh, graphic novels, to write the story that was uh, then illustrated, and she she did some work on a black widow and ended up uh, getting into captain marvel with this uh, captain marvel reboot that's going on right now the captain marvel that i experience experienced was the the old cap uh, marvel 
this alien. Uh, from, I think he was a, a Cree warrior, Cree with a K. And so I have a male character that the role and the title now belong to uh, a woman. And I, I knew that there was a, a movie that's coming up. I think it's in March next year. Let's see. But Margaret Stoll was talking about the the journey of writing this uh, character and how it became personal. And this was uh, echoed by several writers in the in the panels. And in my own experience as well, it's hard not to let uh, your own life influence the writing that's going on. Say, pulling from your own experiences and your biases. And, and then, while writing, there's a journey. So, so your character is going through a journey, but you, yourself, the writer, is, is having this journey. And for uh, Margaret Stoll, uh, she's also considering what's it like. Like, say, she was giving these memories of, of childhood where she was uh, taking her brother's action figures. And the uh, a, a contrast, she's going for a contrast of what it means to be uh, a heroine versus a hero. Uh, what it means to girls, young, uh, young women, as, as young adults, teenagers, so you know, childhood, middle grade, young adult, and uh, this focuses on a female audience. I experienced that a bit because I I was writing a female character when I was uh, when I was in it. I didn't consider it so much, but afterwards I really became concerned about representation. I was pretty sure that I didn't do anything weird, and uh, like say. You know, I was it respect respecting, and I want to have a lot of respect, but I uh, I know to some degree that that's skewed. Like as as far as I can respect the human being, you know, I think that I'm I'm in a much better position. You say, you know, if you're if you're distancing, like if you're on the one side of a, of a gender, a gender agenda, and you're sort of saying, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not this person, and uh, I'm going to write about them, but I don't understand them. So versus that, I was writing from, this is a human being, I'm a human being. Uh, but also, uh, staying away from stereotypes and uh, as I said I 
I found the writing easy, but then after the fact, I, I became concerned and uh, just sort of went through my mental checklist. So, oh, did I do that right? Journey. So, yeah, so writing, uh, publishing the final product, looking at that, it's all part of this journey. I'm, I'm still stuck on uh, Margaret Stoll. The library convention opened with Victor uh, Laval, I, I believe that's uh, the last name is, and he's uh, African American. He's uh, he, you know he's 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 writing uh, a Frankenstein retelling. And he's got uh, African American. Uh, let's see. I'm. I want to say main character. Um, but it, it, in in describing and in telling about his journey, writing, uh, the title is called Destroyer. And he's he's bringing his. Uh, contemporary concerns, which I really are universal, uh, about uh, uh, especially uh, young uh, black teens in the United States. And apologies for alternating terms: uh, African American, black. Um, but but he's he's tackling this issue, say, and he was just describing his journey in creating this work. So we start with uh, a, a black man who's talking about writing, and then we end with this white woman who's talking about uh, the writing and the process of completing uh, the story. We're both in um, graphic novel, comic book territory. And, and there's a sense of history that, that went along with both of them. And throughout the convention, it was, it was great to sort of be tapping into something that uh, used to be a big part of my life, and it's now on the periphery. I've tried to break into comic, writing uh, comic books a number of times. And I suspect I'll, I'll, I'll still send stuff out. Uh, topic. So, uh, especially with Margaret Stoll, she was describing this journey uh, that she was on and that the readers were on as well because she got this feedback that uh, women were writing in uh, you know, all kinds of different ages saying that uh, it was their journey as well. And, oh, and part of that journey was about power um, I, I would argue that uh, 
Victor Lavelle's as well. You know, there's power. It's an issue of power, empowerment, self-empowerment. Um, Margaret Stoll talked about the the origin story for Captain Marvel, and and that she's imbued with uh, the power of the the male uh, Captain Marvel. What was it? I think I. I I believe the argument there was that she she doesn't acquire it's it's given to her, which is this uh, passive act. So she's she's looking at that, and looking at that, examining that, and 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 retelling, uh, exploring it from a different angle. I want to say retcon uh, because it's that she's she's uh, going into the origin story, uh, this new Captain Marvel origin story. So, journey. Uh, her talk uh, got me thinking about the hero's journey, and. One example of its use is um, Dan Harmon, who uh, uh, he, he's he's done a number of shows. One of them is um, the animated. <laughs> uh, the title escapes me, but it's uh, Morty. Uh, it's a. Uh, 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 a young teenager, I guess, and his uh, grandfather, scientist, and wild, bizarre. Uh, so that's one show that Dan Harmon does, and he does. He did another one about people in a community college. That had a. Um, passionate fan base, and I think it was. I think a, a network it was at was tried to cancel it, and then the the fans, I think they got one more year out of it. Um, but uh, Dan Harmon uh, uses this uh, method of storytelling, and. It's it it and on one hand it seems obvious uh, the hero's journey, uh, but if you start going into it and uh, discussing it, uh, that's that's where you get slightly different perspective than say uh, a screenwriting manual that's talking about the three act structure or interpretations of. It has been worked into screenwriting. Um, it has, you know, the most the most famous example is George Lucas, who is is sort of uh, studied at the feet of the master, who's Joseph Campbell, and uh, Star Wars. We get Star Wars coming out of uh, as as one 
uh, one layer of storytelling. So, so the hero's journey. Uh, Dan Harmon describes describes it as this wheel. He has this quartered wheel, so four section, a circle divided into four sections. And yeah, this is coming straight from uh, Joseph Campbell. And I, there's the you start off in the ordinary world and there's a call to adventure and uh, there's there's a conflict that happens that the, the hero does not want to leave which is good for story, you want conflict and also this is inner conflict, this is resistance which is doubly good so that's in our first quarter. We're at, we're going from sort of the 12 o'clock over to the 3 o'clock position. Once the hero decides to, is motivated uh, or forced uh, to into this journey, we go from the 3 o'clock position to the 6 o'clock position, which is friends and allies. And if you were to look at this as the three-act structure, we, we would have, now we are entering the, the long second act. Uh, and we're in, the, we're in the first quarter of the second act. So fr- friends and allies, uh, we're, we're meeting people who are ultimately going to help us. And uh, are carrying us along meeting, uh, say, characters like a, a Han Solo and Chewbacca, uh, yeah, people who are going to help out, comedic duos, animal, talking animals, that kind of thing, wizards. And, just borrowing off of my experience with the three-act structure and screenplay, uh, uh, things are going well. We're having some level of success. A, a sword of light is, is referenced. This is getting me, this is making me want to return. Um, I used to have a copy of Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. I'm sure I can get it from the library. Uh, but one of the, the elements is, is an ac- the acquisition of this sword of light. Um, and this, this uh, motif, I guess, is repeated um, throughout world cultures that there's this acquisition of this magic weapon. And Joseph Campbell is, say, generalizing uh, that this weapon has a brightness 
or it doesn't have to be a weapon, but it, it's some sort of ob- object that uh, represents inspiration, hope, etc. So, uh, some sort of light. So, uh, so a hero. Oh, also, too, uh, at the beginning of this uh, second quarter of the story, this wheel of the story, the the character, the hero, passes threshold guardians. So it's not just a matter of going on this adventure. They have to pass these uh, guardians. And there's a question of uh, whose, whose side they're on. They could be helping and just merely opening the door, or they could be resisting and saying you have to prove that you, know, you are the hero or you, know, you, are, uh, you have enough whatever is required to, to get past this point. You know, we want to see your passport. So that is the second quarter. As we go into the third quarter, uh, things things get darker. Uh, before this, the, I believe it's right at the six o'clock uh, point of, of of the adventure that Joseph Campbell puts uh, a meeting with the mother and. Myself, uh, reading this, I think I first read it when I was in my 20s, and then later I picked it up again in my 30s. And both times I didn't quite you know, get what was going on, whereas now I, I believe I have a, a firmer grasp. Uh, Joseph Campbell was... He, he, I, he said he, he was a Jungian, or at least he, he used... Uh, Jungian methodology. Uh, Carl Jung and the symbolism there. And the symbolism of the mother in this much grander sense. So how to explain this. That this journey, this journey into um, danger, uh, darkness, adventure, that that journey is psychological in nature. And Joseph Campbell, uh, I can recommend uh, The Power of Myth and there's uh, another one. Is a PBS sort of documentary. It's interviews, Bill Moyer interviewing Joseph Campbell, and that that's accessible on the internet, I believe. Uh, I think it's called uh, "The Masks of Eternity." And but if you root around, you can find this uh, interview. I think it's on uh, maybe like internetarchive.org or something like that. 
And there, and in The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, there's an argument of the role of mythology. Joseph Campbell was looking at... Uh, he, he was a mythologist. I, I believe it's you know, an anthropologist studying mythology. But he... He was looking at these myths, and he started to see a um, similarity. He started to see that there was something similar. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't 100%, but that, say, um, hero myths particularly had, had this system, this sort of cyclic system going on uh, of a call to adventure, friends and allies. And so we have uh, the meeting with the mother and I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb but the notion in Carl Jung of gender is say that if you, whatever your gender is on the outside, your your inner gender, and and this is generalizing that there's a part of you that's opposite, and it's almost like say two halves of a whole. So, uh, say in order to have balance uh, in your life, you're going for this harmony of opposites, and. Again, going out on a limb and saying, to the Western mind, it's this would be uh, anathema, that this would be the opposite. And, uh, and too, I'm speaking more of a traditional uh, viewpoint versus a contemporary. I suspect that as a contemporary, we're sliding more and more into a, an equality of self rather than a, a division. Uh, and two, I think there's an argument there of, um, you know, that everyone does have a feminine side and everyone does have a masculine side. Uh, all, all of the women I know have, have elements of both and all men have elements of both. You know, uh, you can see this especially in parents you know, where there's got to be this balance. You know, you don't want to be too tough, you know, and you don't want to be too, you know, caring. You know, you want to have some level of discipline, uh, give some structure, and so on and so forth. And there's another argument there. <laughs> but anyways, uh, just, to, just to illustrate what's going on in, in, with this meeting of the mother... Carl Jung was big on alchemy and part of the uh, process, the symbolic process that, that he was looking at uh, in this transformation of, of towards the self, uh, to, towards an experience of, what's it called, uh, individuation, this wholeness. 
uh, that meeting with the mother for the masculine hero that it's it's a an encounter with this I want to say almost like a, a verboten a forbidden other half of the equation so it's almost like say starting off in duality and then you have this encounter with unity a wholeness but there's but there's twists to that as well uh, there's almost a, a Freudian decision in, in the terminology of mother right this is not feminine uh, this is not you know meeting with meeting with the uh, wife uh, or a lover or something along those lines it's not uh, it's not equality you know this is this is a superior you know this is a, a matriarch in my reading and in my you know how I'm understanding this in the in the beginning of this circle rather than an arc you know we're in this circle or cycle of a story that we've gone from the ordinary world into the world that is underneath or within we've moved into the subconscious or unconscious the underworld uh, where adventures happen the the enchanted forest or somewhere <laughs> oh hey it's another one of my friends <laughs> one of my barking buddies uh, I keep thinking I ought to carry around some kind of treats but I you know, I, I know something of dogs and dogs owners and so we grew up with a dog and uh, you know that might be frowned upon by the owner but too just you know carrying around a pocket of te- treats and every time I see them I fire them a treat and uh, moss no don't do that <laughs> just let them bark uh, yeah okay so uh, so yeah so, with this encounter, uh, with this, uh, uh, the mother, uh, the Jungian mother, that we are in this kind of uh, underworld, having this encounter, and at this point, my mind is sort of segueing, I'm still on topic, talking about the journey and just that this that the argument from Joseph Campbell is that myths are a reflection of our needs we have the modern day myths such as um, Star Wars which of course not everybody is invested in but there there's a group that are heavily invested in it was part of their childhood and adulthood. It's a big part of 
um, of them. It speaks to them. There are uh, there are lessons and morals in the story. There there are warnings, and I would argue that it's the journey that we're on. Uh, we go on the journey with the storytellers who are on their own journey. But if it's done well, if it's done right, it speaks to the culture at large. And, you know, there's, a, there's an empowering that, that happens. And uh, from my perspective, it's the, it's the greatest and best tradition in storytelling because it, 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 re- it resonates and uh, there's, there's something old but something eternal going on as well. And, and there's, there's a craving. And it seems like we've never gotten rid of this thing inside of us that, you know, it's almost a desire for definition right? You know, tell us who we are. Um, make sense of this. Illustrate it for us, this journey that we're on. You know, I, uh, and now I've come back to Joseph Campbell's uh, Follow Your Bliss, you know, his, his big advice. And that really is, that really is the story of the, the hero's journey. I hope to bring this around to Margaret Stoll's heroine's journey because that's the flip side. You know, that would make a, a great book, a non-fiction book, looking at the monomyth of Joseph Campbell and uh, telling it from the perspective of a, of a woman's journey from daughter to daughter to uh, Old woman, potentially um, grandmother, matriarch. But let's, uh, let's return to this meeting with the mother. I'm sort, of, I'm sort of glossing over it. I think I've covered it. I don't really want to uh, uh, continue uh, looking at the mother. <laughs> but now I'm feeling like, oh gosh, I guess I should. And say say the contrast of where we're at now than you know perhaps where we were there there has been or uh I don't want to say there has always been but there has been uh a disempowerment of roles and say, uh, the glass ceiling, uh, and, and just this uh, notion of somebody's going to stay at home and somebody's going to go out and work. And that, uh, that, that polar, that polarity, it's not realistic. I suspect it has never been realistic because there are situations where, say, both uh, you know, say, you know, the man can't get out to work for whatever reason. Uh, 
and that a woman, um, you know, say to take care of her family, she's got to get out there and, and do work. And just sort of going through my thoughts, I'm going, you know, uh, I think I think all of the women in my family, as far back as I can remember, were working. But I'm sure that the farther back I go, that there's more and more limitations. Uh, let's see. I'm kind of getting off track, I think. But So this is an encounter with... I would argue that with the the hero's psychological other, you know, this is a part of the the hero that is um, hidden, covered up. Uh, he's been living in this world of manhood. Um, you know, he, he's a hero, but there's an incomplete uh, part to this character. And again, this is this is a Jungian uh, concept. Uh, I want to backstep and say that you know, if if we're getting back into the um, the pagan, I'm, I'm speaking specifically, say, of of Europe and England, that if we go back, we get into these uh, pantheons where the feminine the, you know where we had clearly expressed um, sort of feminine aspects of the divine <clears throat> and thus of the psycho- psychological uh, you could argue well you know there's Mary there's female saints uh, that have taken over those roles in a, in a new kind of pantheon uh, yes, you can argue that. I'm thinking of the great mother of Rome, this uh, mother goddess. And as Christianity was being established in, in Rome... Uh, and to the process beyond that, there was this uh, shifting. Like, say, they still have remnants, statues at uh, St. Peter's that are actually... I think one of them is Isis. And they've, uh, say, I, they've added a few elements to the statue and uh, renamed the statue. that It's now Mary, but it was originally Isis. I think part of that, plus the the temples that existed, or in a way still exist, because they're repurposing. They take a shrine, they'll remove. Um, it was a process. The the Romans did this originally, where they would adopt, like say Isis, for example, they would connect Isis to a Roman deity and say basically, it's the same uh, deity. Another one I know is uh, uh, Hermes or Mercury, uh, which is Greek-Roman. And then we have the Egyptian uh, Thoth, and they occupy the same division. If you almost like look at it as this 
complete whole. It's been divided up into these various um, psychological states. And so that particular deity uh, in Egypt was uh, similar to uh, the ones in Greek and Rome. And that possibly had been going on for a long time where they were associating it to the point where they'll have these merging together of the names. And they might say Hermes Thoth or Mercury Thoth and have elements from both religions in this, in this mixing. And that reminds me of uh, Christian denominations or uh, cults, uh, new religions that sprout up that use bits and pieces of various faiths. What am I thinking of? The, my, my first thought is the Mormon, uh, Mormon, Mormon uh, tabernacle choir singing Christmas songs. They like Christmas songs. They, they're using elements of, of that religion and importing it to their own. And, uh, you know, they... <laughs> what is it? Uh, so, yeah, so even though, even though they're not um, agreeing with interpretations, saying, you know, oh, we like this or we like these traditions, so we're going to use them and um, sort of join them, connect it with our own. And it is interesting, too, you know, that... Uh, sort of diametrically different. They're, you know, quite different. You know, you might have people on both sides arguing. I guess it's that I'm arguing, you know, that uh, if it's the same thing, then it's the same thing. But if it's different, it's different. And, uh, it, yeah. Okay. That was a segue. So I'm getting back to uh, uh, this, this mother. So... We're in the other world, underworld, forest of adventure, and encountering this uh, female aspect, and, and to uber female aspect, this um, cosmic parent. And we're moving from there, from that encounter, to the uh, belly of the whale. I'm simplifying a bit. Uh, there are um, further divisions, uh, just like in uh, screenplay, sc screenplay structure, but it, it, it's following the pattern of the three-act structure that we use in movies, where there's this uh, crisis. So we're heading towards this crisis. Things are falling apart. Um, Joseph Campbell is using the belly of the whale, which is a Judaic story of uh, a hero, uh, this, this character, Jonah, who is uh, swallowed up uh, in, and sort of imprisoned. Uh, there's almost a, a womb-like quality to that experience, I'm just thinking now. But there's, but it's also a death. There's a death and a rebirth that's going on. And 
those those terms are used in, in that uh, third quarter of of this circle, the journey. So the character, the hero, is at their lowest point, uh, but. And, and, and this is where there's a parting of ways with the third act that when I, when I first read it I felt uh, a bit confused The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell uh, I read it and it, it didn't seem quite accurate or true uh, this, the positioning of uh, what's called the elixir and it could be the Holy Grail, it, it could be, I think in Gilgamesh, it's this, it's this uh, kind of kelp or sea plant that, is, um, that, that gives, I think it's immortality. Uh, and uh, it's, it's some kind of magical elixir. Uh, I think the alchemists have something that is along the same lines. And it's, it's, it's just something that heals uh, or provides uh, some kind of inspiration or hope. So we have, in a way, we have two items. We have the Sword of Light, and now we have obtaining this uh, magical elixir. Elixir Vitae. Uh, but just something about the positioning of it felt like it ought to uh, it ought to arrive later, that this was too soon. Perhaps that's the difference between storytelling now versus storytelling in a more mythological setting. Perhaps it's just the introduction introduction of it rather than the actual obtaining it. But it, uh, looking, at, looking at that system, it just didn't ring true for me. And I, sus I suspect what it is is that it's a, that I'm looking at the elixir as something that is, um, that's sort of like the completion and the goal. Uh, but even in a third act, it, it's all about the conflict. I mean, the, in the, cl the climax of the story, it's all about the climax. Um, meeting and battling with the antagonist. So, uh, we have completed, you know, we have gone underneath. Uh, we, we have finished our journey through the underworld. And now... In the last quarter of the of the journey, we are leaving, and we are going back to the ordinary world. We are returning, and so there is a, a, a kind of cycle to it. You know, we have left and we have returned, uh, but we have returned transformed uh, in the various myths that Campbell was looking at. We might return transformed. People might not recognize us, or they might pigeonhole us and say, it's interesting that I'm saying us, uh, 
but they, uh, you know, say uh, the ordinary world uh, might say, oh, well, this is how you were, therefore you, this is how, this is, yeah, you were this way, therefore you must be this way. But because of the experiences in the underworld, there's an inner transformation, and uh, you can no longer be who you were. And uh, even though you might be treated in that same way, you know, you are forever, hopefully, uh, transformed uh, for the better. And uh, the other part of it is that you are bringing... Oh, I, I'm, you know, after years now, I'm sort of seeing the purpose of the positioning of the uh, elixir. Be, uh, you've obtained it in the underworld. Uh, in the worst and sort of dark place of the adventure, uh, you have obtained it. Now you are bringing the elixir, and the elixir solves the problems uh, of that culture, civilization. Yeah, so we have this returning. And just to return to Margaret Stoll and uh, Victor uh, Laval. That I think what what both of them are bringing to the t- to the table uh, that they are returning with this elixir that there is something um, powerful in their stories and uh, uh, heroic uh, super heroic and it's it's couched in this medium that is both both visual and textual and yeah, uh, something of, of value is, is going on. And, and you can argue, oh, well, Moss, you know, all, the sto- all stories are valuable. And I would, I would disagree. I would say, come on, sit down with all the stories you know, you know, and go in and pick out one that is truly transforming. And... It's it's probably going to be one that's quite personal, and that is uh, private. And and I I would say go a bit farther, look for ones that are speaking to everyone. You know, there, it's it's not it's not a, a personal affinity, but one that is is much greater and is speaking to the the community at, at large, and is addressing. Um, Something, something that is universal, but also contemporary. I I would say that both uh, Victor and Margaret's stories are essential. That uh, they contain the elixir, and uh, and further, that that the the elixir is the story, is the journey, and. To be, to be sharing that is uh, there's this sort of healing act that is going on because that's what ultimately the elixir is. It's a it's a healing potion. It's a the Grail, 
or it's it, it's it's something, but it's also um, magical, and not to say supernatural, but to say psychological. In engaging with the the story, the journey, there's an invitation to adventure, uh, a psychological invitation. And we can resist it all we want, but to to go on on that adventure, to go on that personal quest and find find that that thing that uh, solves uh, the, 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 the problem. I'm not talking about the problems. I'm talking about the problem, the big problem. And it, that can be summed up in, you know, what's it all about? Uh, <laughs> life, the universe, and everything. Uh, you've got to go on that adventure, right, to, uh, to find the the ultimate answer, 42. Now you're nearing the end of the podcast and you can walk around with that knowledge. Yes, I know the answer. But, yeah, truly, truly what does it mean personally to go into your own underworld or other world or however you want to describe it into your own subconscious, unconscious, your own psychological being, your mind. Uh, what does that look like? And can you get somebody in into that place and sort of guide them along in an in a almost Virgilian, Virgilian, Dantean kind of way and but but doing it uh, within consciousness, like say, so that it's not a where somebody s- sets aside the the story and then says, "Oh, well, that was nice, but I don't know why." Instead, to have them wake up, right, and realize that they have been inside their whole mind the whole time. Uh, something meta, uh, something that breaks the breaks the fourth wall, and, and and to not in a cheap way, but in a healing, uh, compassionate kind of way. Uh, something you know that we start off right away with this with this journey that we're going to go on of empowerment, and that. You know, the sword, the, the bright sword that we receive is ourselves, or, or even better, ourself. You know, the, the biggest, best, brightest part of who we are. Uh, <laughs> so thank you, Library Con, <laughs> for this opportunity. But... Uh, <clears throat> Let's see. So, just to wrap it up, the hero's journey. So we're looking at we're looking at 
psychology meets mythology. We're looking at storytelling with a purpose, and that um, in service of uh, not just your community, but yourself, that say, as a writer, and I am thinking of uh, Victor Laval and Margaret Stoll, that they have done a great service to, to their community, uh, representing the best, right, the best that you can give, and encouraging people to be, to be more themselves, and to uh, look at others uh, in that same light. And, and again, you, you could argue, oh, Moss, you know, writing is just writing. Telling a story, you know, it's, it's for me. And then I have this, you know, the added benefit is that I might sell, uh, I might get some fans who adore Sesmois, and, you know, that I will actually become uh, someone I will be someone if I put on this hat and smoke this pipe, you know, and and type and drink my coffee, you know. Uh, I would argue, yeah, to end the podcast that that we we are not being ourselves usually normally, and that our culture is against that, and our families are against that. And in this defining of who we are is the ultimate, I want to say defamation, but it's, 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 it's a negation of, of, of who we ultimately are. And you know, here is one way of regaining and reclaiming uh, your identity that um, to free yourselves from these mental shackles and to, to truly be free, to be liberated. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> tune, in, tune in tomorrow, hopefully, uh, where I will tackle um, uh, something probably of a, of a lesser state. But, uh, yeah, so take care.